This is the Lean Construction Blogs Podcast, a podcast dedicated to stories, case studies, and lessons learned of applying lean construction from around the world. Join Dick Beyer as he interviews industry leaders, lean construction practitioners, and subject matter experts to help you improve the build environment in general and your design and construction projects in particular, advance your lean journey, and bring your continuous improvement efforts to the next level. Let's get started. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Dick Beyer on the podcast, joined by my uh, good friend and advocate in the community, Kian Zandi. Uh, it took me about three years to figure out how to spell that name and then four <laughs> years how to pronounce it. Um, but that was great because I've known him for at least 10 years. We were reminiscing about that this morning. So everybody knows Kian Zandi and his friend Joe, who are the, you know, it's kind of like the car talk of guys back in the day, click and clack. Um, Kian and Joe are the lean builder guys. And that book has done extraordinarily well in our community. I know that every project I kick off, we send 20 of those books out to folks to get them to try to really understand what we're doing. So without further ado, Kian, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate that, Dick. Thanks so much. That means a lot. Really happy to have you. And uh, uh, I know that you're trying to get Joe with us and we'll have to we'll have to reboot one of these days and uh, make sure that that Joe uh, has a chance to join us. But the great thing is that uh, you're here. So thank you so much and really happy to have you. So let's uh, let's just jump right in. I So you and I were reminiscing when we got on uh, earlier and tried to fix my computer that I think dates back to 1648 and the conquest <laughs> of Barbados. Um, but the uh, we were reminiscing about when, when we met and, and we kind of met over a common issue that we were both having. I was in Dallas in 2010 uh, or so, and I and you were working on a project. I think I met you at the COP at Dallas, and we were talking about last planner. So, um, in the preface to the book, which I was really honored to be able to write, I talk about you know walking onto a muddy site in Dallas and getting into a trailer um, and finding a long-haired guy that looked remarkably like you as a trailer. <laughs> So, uh, <clears throat> and I was there because I was exploring my own thoughts around uh, how the last planner system should roll out. Back in those days, it was a very paper-heavy kind yeah. of process. Uh, share with us that uh, what you remember that meeting and uh, and and where we went from there. Yeah, I do. You know, um, maybe just a little background on me and some context. I, uh, you know, I got into the business probably two thousand four and uh, worked for a firm called Limbeck Group. Uh, Limbeck and Bolt were some of the two original firms that started implementing Last Planner System and really were uh, two firms that were involved in starting, helping start LCI. And so early in my journey, uh, I was exposed to lean. And uh, I think, I think uh, a story that I'd like to share uh, as we're just talking is what really got me focused on trying to implement lean in the first place was I did a project where I want to say I worked, I can't remember now, it's probably 72 or 73 days straight. And uh, I'll never forget, it was a multi-phase project. And I think this was the first phase and uh, we busted our hump, but uh, we got it done. Like we finished on time. And uh, remarkable. Yeah. And I just remember um, all the phone calls that I got from leadership, the attaboys, you know, the pat on the back from the GM. And I just remember thinking like, man, if this is what it's going to take, like I need to reset my my expectation of what this industry is because it took a lot. Right. And uh, I started really focusing on Last Planner at that time. And uh, I'll never forget the second phase. Um, we started implementing some of that process. And uh, this was way before I knew truly about lean or lean culture. But even just the benefit of the tools helped us finish, I'll say on time on phase two. Maybe we finished like a day or two early on, on the, the phase two of the project. Right. And uh, I didn't get one phone call. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that is my that's probably my favorite story 
in our entire lean community because it says so much yeah. about where that the industry is yeah. in terms of what they what they model and what they expect um, and what they reward. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it's funny, like now having some perspective. So in my current role, I'm, I'm COO of Skiles Group. We're a healthcare general contractor based in Dallas. But, you know, thinking back um, to my journey and, and even in recent time, like in our industry, just like you said, we reward firefighting. We acknowledge firefighters at company picnics, um, you know, through promotions, however you want to say it. But there's something about getting it done where I mean, we wear the the hours as a badge in this right. business. And I didn't realize even how much even in my role that I still do that. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of perspectives since then. And I just knew back then and even today, like I wanted to do something about that. And I wanted to do something about what the expectation is in our industry and the hours we work and the way, uh, what's expected. And so, you know, my journey with lean, uh, really started there. And then I think probably the time we met in, in 2010, where I was struggling was, you know, in the early years of last planner system, everything, like you said, was very paper-based. So we had paper-based six-week look-aheads. We had the three-week look-aheads that were paper-based. And I just remember I spent so much time tracking down Project Foreman to fill out their three-week look-ahead, to compile this packet, to then hand it out at the subcontractor meeting, which is what we called it at the time. And that meeting was once a week. And you know, we talked for an hour and a half and it was very contentious. And then after the meeting, I swear those packets would be in the trash and it'd be in the dash of guys' trucks and littered on the job site. And, um, and all, those, working, all those meetings happen at a big table that looks like an aircraft carrier, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's well, a very linear conversation. It's not a conversation in any real sense, right? No, no. Well, I'll even go this far as that when I came in the industry, it was standard that us as the general contractor, like the super, the PM, the assistant super, the assistant PM, like whoever was on the job, we were on one side of the table right? and our trade partners were on the other side of the table. And I remember going in those meetings tense, like knowing that uh, we were going to be arguing and yelling and like it was going to be contentious, you know? Yeah, this and, is the uh, Jets and the Sharks, right? I yeah, mean. yeah. And then I'll never forget, I had a project manager tell me one time, she said, do you guys realize how intimidating you all look sitting on one side of the table, like break it up. And even that little gesture, like diffuse the room. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of going back to my discovery of how to make this stuff work and, and how lean actually worked and how the culture worked. Like I just knew the papers were not working well. There was some value, but I knew there could be more. I was working with a, a superintendent uh, and close friend of mine, Jason Becker at the time. And uh, together we kind of said, you know, let's, let's blow this stuff up. Let's take these papers. Let's plot it out on the plotter. Let's laminate it. Let's hand out dry erase markers and let's do it live. Not, Somebody fills out a paper, turns it in, we review it. And then over time, that daily huddle process started to evolve. And I can share some stories around that. But I think when we met, I was having this epiphany that the traditional subcontractor meeting once a week, hour and a half, doesn't work. A daily huddle could be a solution. Visual boards could be a solution. And, uh, you know, over the past 10, 10, 11 years, like I've really poured into that. And, um, and I, you know, I feel like there's been this movement of that's kind of how, how it's done now in our industry. And, and, uh, I, I was, I'm proud to be a part of that early stage of folks that were kind of trying to figure out a better way to implement less planner in the field. Yeah. And which, what's what's cool, like, especially as you get to be you know, a little closer to my age, um, about another 64 or five years for you. The you, you feel like it's important that you've had some influence on the way we think about building buildings in the world or building infrastructure in the world, or just creating 
you know, the built environment. Uh, but I was a little bit remiss because I didn't start with your your early background. I mean, you obviously grew up someplace and you went to school someplace and you did something that got you um, interested in construction. So let's fill in that gap. Um, and then we can get back to the uh, the last planner story that really brought us together. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I grew up in Houston, Texas. Texas. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I uh, married my high school sweetheart. We went to uh, Texas A&M together and then have been in uh, Dallas since the early 2000s. Um, you know, I, I've, I feel like for the folks that have known me for the last 20 years, I've always wanted to lead a progressive construction firm. Um, I have always kind of looked at our industry. I don't know why I've always felt a bit of an outsider, but I just felt that um, with the quality of people we have and just how awesome of an industry it is where you can wear so many different hats. Like when people ask, well, what do you do? It's like, well, that's hard to say. Like some parts of the day I'm reviewing and writing contracts. So you could say, you know, I, I'm a lawyer, you know, some parts of my day, I'm looking at hundreds of millions of dollars worth of financials. So I'm an accountant, you know, we build schedules, we manage logistics and procurement. So we're project managers. We got to understand constructability. Um, you know, I could go on and on. And so I've always felt like this has been such a dynamic industry, yet there's such an opportunity to do so much more, to leverage so, so much more technology, to implement some ideas from other industries. And, uh, and just from my early time in the business, I've wanted to not only help a firm and grow a firm uh, to think that way and to empower people to uh, you know, go against the status quo, but also um, you know, really to, uh, to help with some of these other issues that, we're, that are plaguing our industry, like you know, the perception of what it's like to work in, in the trades. And so because of all that, um, that's been a passion of mine over everything else. And, and my role at Skiles Group and what we're building here um, is truly my my love. And then, you know, lean construction is just something that I'm also extremely passionate about. And I feel like it's an avenue um, that fits right in line with what what I'm trying to accomplish when it comes to our firm. And so that's kind of that's kind of me in a nutshell. That's fantastic. So was there anything about you when you were a kid, were you throwing hammers through walls or were you um, pulling stuff off the table or was, was there any early indication that construction was going to be the way that you were going to head? You know, it's hard to tell. Um, it's funny. I actually started uh, in school in computer engineering and then, uh, you know, realized quickly that that wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, there's something about programming you know, if you study for four hours, after your four hours, you've learned four hours worth of material. Uh, when you program for four hours and can't figure out where you screwed up your code, you've just lost four hours. Right. So I realized that wasn't in my cards. And um, I've always been involved in a lot of leadership type things at a young age and uh, started looking into the construction industry, had some friends that were going to school at Texas A&M for construction and um, got involved very quickly. I was uh, joined the AGC, became like the student chapter president for AGC and AIC, which allowed me to start going to a lot of the AGC national conventions. Um, and, uh, and from that, just really started to understand that this industry fit me and my personality more than anything else that I that I'd ever felt. That's it. Well, and and I think you've exhibited that that the one part of the story about getting the great phone calls and being that you know the white knight and the cowboy or the firefighter or whatever it was that they had decided that you were is that uh, I remember you telling me that you had decided on that second phase you were just were not going to do that you were going to work hard to not have a crush at the end where you had 73 days or whatever. And because you were so quietly working in the background to make everything smooth, nobody ever noticed you. Right. And by not noticing <laughs> you, that really emphasized the yeah. difference between the people that make a lot of noise. And, you know, I, I think 
over time, I mean, I spent 30 years as a lawyer doing construction cases um, and other massive document cases. So I'm so glad to be doing this. Um, but I, I, I always wondered why it was that 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 the people who you know saved the day they were often the people that created the very problem. Oh yeah, the firefighters resulted are. in their having to come in and save the day. Yeah, you know, and this this relationship, like you you talk about the relationship between the trades, um, and there's always been this kind of distance between the trades and the GC um, that is almost like class warfare in some senses. And it's so funny because the trades are the people that add add the value to the project. They're the ones that that put the sticks up and hook things together. They're the ones that know how to join stuff and actually do that work. Yeah. What they really need is a servant leader that empowers them to do their work rather than somebody that says, "Oh, these trades, they just don't know anything." You know. Yeah. I mean, when I came when I came into the industry, I took a year off of school and worked for a company and. I was an assistant superintendent, it was green, didn't know anything. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was told very deliberately, like to yell and scream at trade partners to get them to hurry up and do what you needed them to do. And I just remember being this skinny kid, <laughs> like, like bowing up to guys like twice my age and half my or double my size. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I remember I finished school. And uh, got a job, and obviously I was working at Lindbeck at the time, and they're a very progressive firm, and and they were. Uh, I remember it was, you know, the superintendent was having an issue, um, and we had a fire alarm trade that that could not pass his pretest, and so we set him up at like four thirty or five a.m. before our inspection, and he didn't show up till let's say six a.m., and I was waiting for my opportunity to show the project superintendent like. Hey, I, I have this. And when that guy got there, I mean, I just got in his face, screamed, yelled, cussed. And uh, the guy was really about to knock my head off. <laughs> and my project manager and superintendent pulled me aside and they were like, what the hell was that? And I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, we don't talk to our trades like that. Like, we're, we're, what made you think that that was acceptable? And I was super confused. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, this is. I thought this is what we're supposed to do. And right. so even just in my short time in the business, I had a little rewiring to do. And then even if I think back to the way we managed 20 years ago till now, I'd even say the way we treated trade partners back then wasn't even close to how we how we act now. And so um, and, you know, what's so sad is that, I, I, you know, through the book and this journey of talking to other construction companies. I mean, there's companies that still run their work like that. It's probably, I hate to say it, probably half the companies run their work like that. And so, you know, there's this huge opportunity out there. And, um, you know, I think folks like you and others that are really starting to dedicate themselves uh, to try to share and be transparent and give away everything that they've learned or tools or process or things that are working uh, to make our industry better, um, you know, I, I just want to be a part of that movement. I want to help any of those folks, uh, you know, elevate elevate what they're trying to say. But I think one of the one of the great um, one of the great opportunities you have is that there are very few construction communities that are as smoothly run and and compadres and friends as that Texas. Uh, Texas construction industry. I mean, I found um, when I was uh, embedded on Parkland with Sam Moses, who is one of those guys yeah. who I have tremendous yeah. respect and reverence for. Um, the thing that he liked about, you know, he he used to say, well, you know, they sent Dick Byer and teach me how to pour concrete. Yeah. God damn it. I'm not doing that. Um, but I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to give him a chance. And so we started putting stickies on the wall. And it wasn't necessarily just the stickies on the wall. It was the fire side conversations. It was the beers after work. It was understanding. Sam Moses was one of those guys who knew every trade foreman and he knew what their families were like and he knew what their issues were. And he was able to get people motivated because he was a leader yeah. of of those of the trades. He so respected the work that the trades did and he listened to them, you yeah. know, from the shoulders up. And so I, I, that was always surprised when I would get to a project and the 
superintendent was just demeaning the trade. Just like, dude, what else do you have? <laughs> I mean, right, right. It's like bending your fork. I mean, it doesn't yeah. help you eat, right? Yeah, it's it's a tough thing. I mean, I think, you know, and I want to talk a little bit about me and Joe's relationship because we, we're so yoked on this fact that, you know, the industry is changing. And um, because of that change, lean and the culture around it is is going to be really the only way to make this industry appealing to the next generation of builder. And, you know, I could, I don't want to, I could talk about this topic for the next 30 minutes, but, you know, I went to, uh, to my kids uh, school for career day and I asked the kids, you know, what, what, what does everybody want to be when they grow up? And the uh, number one answer was a YouTuber. (laughs) And, uh, I share that because like, the next, this generation's got so many options for career path. Right. You can have a podcast, you can have a YouTube page, you can have all these different things going on. Right. No one's going to willingly come into an industry that is like ranked number one in suicide and mental health issues, that works 60, 70 hours a week, that has all these different complications that are involved with long hours, travel, stress, danger. Yeah. Like no one's going to want to do that in this new future of, of work, of worker. And so, you know, for us, um, you know, we see the lean culture and some of the process and tools as a way um, to help mitigate some of that. It's not a silver bullet, but you know, when I think about my own workday, when I'm working on all value add, when I'm in my sweet spot of, right. uh, of working on the things that I, that I feel like I'm good at and that I'm passionate about, like my battery never drains. Right. But when you're beating your head against the wall, you know, dealing with issue after issue over and over, and you don't have time to think strategically about your work because you're, you're fighting fires all day. Um, it's, it's emotionally and mentally just draining. And, um, and so while I can't promise anybody who's not, you know, that, that lean will, you're not going to work, you know, Hey, you work eight hours a day and everything will be great. I'm not saying that I'm just saying the quality of your work will be, uh, better. You'll be able to focus more strategically. You'll be able to think further out and it's going to allow you to really scale in a way that unfortunately on most projects, most teams don't have the bandwidth to. You know, everything that you're saying has been endorsed um, through the research. I mean, so I'm one of those guys that likes to connect, you know, what I see, what I observe in the field and, and what are people saying about it out there in the, you know, Harvard Business Review. So there's a woman who works for, who's a professor at Harvard Business School named Teresa Murabali. And she talks about the empowerment of work and the sweet spot for healthy people is to have work where they have some independence in deciding what they're going to do every day. They actually get to, they, they're, they're given the tools and the materials and the things that they need to do the work. And they can look back at the end of the day and be satisfied with having done something. Right. And that doesn't happen at a call center for, you know, old people's insurance. Um, that happens in construction. I mean, it's really the number one place where, where you get to be satisfied every single day. And uh, I know so many trades who are so in love with the work that they do, if they could just do it, you know, right. it's this other stuff. It's that how we fill the space between work. When, when we play that make a card game where you play the, uh, the airplane game or whatever, what you find is that it's not that the work goes any faster, which is what superintendents are always trying to get people to do. Right. The, the work takes what the work takes. Now you can do some tack time studies and you can kind of increase it, but the goal is to reduce the space between the work. Right. Right. Because the, the taking the, the little dot off the paper and putting it on a card takes you about the same time of time, but it's the passing it to somebody else and it's sitting in the queue and waiting for something to happen. It's that space between the work that if we, if we concentrate on, we're really empowering our trades to build the, the things that we're trying to build because none of the rest of us build anything except relationships. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. 
So, so tell me a little bit about the relationship you built with Joe and how that kind of led to your book. Because I'm assuming that both the book, your relationship with Joe, and the Skyle story all kind of blend. Yeah, you um, know, I think um, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm maybe a little fuzzy on timeline, but um, that's okay. You know, Joe Joe came uh, to work for Limbeck, and um, and we worked together on a project, and uh, I could just tell, you know, you know, is there some superintendents that you know, they may want to try new things or some superintendents that will do it. And then there's some that are like, that just will devour it. And I could just tell mm-hmm. when Joe started his lean journey, like he saw the light and, uh, and felt just like I did just super passionate about pouring everything he had into making it work. And so I had an opportunity, um, to, to, to leave and come to Skiles group to help, uh, grow and lead uh, a firm. And I took that opportunity, but we always kept in touch, uh, just sharing war stories. Uh, you know, I may have challenged him a little bit, you know, at Limbeck, uh, I, I had initially started building those lean boards with Jason. And so from time to time, I'd say, hey, what are you doing to, you know, continuous improvement? How, how are you tweaking, you know, the boards and what else are you doing? And so there was some good, I always think, competition, friendly competition always sharpens, uh, you know, iron sharpens iron. And so I've always, you know, we just had this relationship as peers, um, you know, to try to figure out how to do things better. And, and, um, you know, what I'll share is we must, I think this, I think we were flying to uh, Anaheim for Congress and, uh, you know, I was sharing with Joe, my frustration around not having a resource to give a field leader that they could easily understand and then implement. And we were yoked on this idea. He was struggling with the same thing. And, and I don't mean this in any type of disrespect to, you know, anybody, but there's a lot of publications, white papers, even the Toyota way, which I've read four or five times. And like, it helped me start my journey, but I've recognized like, that that type of publication is not what a field leader is going to be able, not every field leader is going to be able to read and then immediately begin to start getting the value in the field. And it's going to, you know, and that time that it would take, I, we want, I wanted to shorten that. I wanted something that was like, here's, here's the, here's a cheat sheet. Here's the how to. And so, you know, we were on that flight and, and we were looking at the airline pamphlet of like the safety procedures. And we like in our minds, like this could be like, yeah, it would be something that a superintendent could have in their, in their vest pocket. And this is what the industry needs. And then, um, you know, at Congress, Lencioni was the, uh, was the keynote. Right. And uh, we both kind of came back, poured into five dysfunctions of a team, poured into ideal team player. I had read a, a book, you know, obviously the goal is a big, uh, probably in one of my top 10, and then there was a book I'd read, you know, everything I've learned about manufacturing, I learned in Joe's garage. And the theme between all these books, right. and they, were, they were written as a fable. They were a story with characters that were relatable, that taught a lesson along the way. Yeah, even that Kennedy book that we read about, uh, you know, putting together bikes and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, what we called the, the blue book back in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And, and it just kind of became obvious like that was what the industry needed. Um, it's funny, you know, we, uh, it took a lot of time to actually sit down together and make time and bandwidth to write the book, but it was just one of these things. Like we just felt like we were called to do it. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I always love, you know, we sent the book out to some really close friends and peers and mentors in the industry. And obviously you were one of those. And I, and I think at the time I'd, I'd asked you to write praise and, and what you wrote back, we ended, ended up being the forward for the book. And what I, what I, what resonated so much was like, you know, you, in the, you had said that, you know, uh, the problem is that like a lot of the connecting of the people and the behaviors are happening in like these conference rooms and rented hotels, room, you know, you know, spaces for these right. conferences and not in the field. And that was exactly on the money. Like, I've probably gone to the last 15 or 16 Congresses. And what I don't see a lot of is the field. 
And I, and I've always felt that there's a need for so many different voices in this lean construction thing. There's a need for a consultant voice who knows how to coach and mentor and, and teach and facilitate. There's need for an academic voice who's doing the research and the white papers and the publications. There's needs for architects and what they go through, but like the field and the needed a voice and they right. needed something that was relatable to them. And, uh, and that, that really uh, was what we try to accomplish with the book. And um, you know, it's been pretty humbling just the, uh, the feedback that we've gotten um, you know, from, from the industry because of it. And uh, you know, it's, it's pretty special. Yeah. It's, it's funny when I have, a, so I'll, I'll take a copy of the book with me uh, when I go talk to a construction, you know, a new construction company and it says, hey, what are the things that we could do to make our stuff better? And, and it's easy to say, well, you know, you could do this uh, or you could do that, but it's like, well, read this book. And so I went to visit these guys in Ottawa because uh, I live in Ottawa now and, um, and it's called Lundy construction. And the guy, uh, uh, and I brought him the book and I said, well, we could do the, you know, we could do the last planner. We could do all these things. There's lots of things that we can do um, that you should think about, but uh, just, just read this book. Boom. 20 books uh, tomorrow. I need 20 books. It's going to every one of my trailers. You know, I bought a hundred books from you guys so I could finally get the stuff through customs because it's so hard to get stuff through customs up here. Um, and uh, boom, he wanted 20 books. Uh, I have a friend who routinely takes 15 books. I was, talking to these project managers at Collier's and Collier's isn't one of those, you know, um, firms that's, that's known as, you know, last planner <laughs> heavy, right? They do a lot sure. of very traditional PMI stuff. And yet everybody I've given that book to has just been, has been blown away by it, mostly because the lessons are so straightforward and they're told as stories. And so when I started this podcast, my, my goal was not to replace Greg. I think, you know, we, we lost, a great storyteller when we lost Greg Howell sure. and we learned so much from stories. And so I think that's, that's part of what this podcast is about, but it's also really the, the lean builder is indicative of how much we have to learn from a story. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Again, I mean that, you know, it's one of those things when you set out to do something and then, um, it works and we're, you know, we're extremely proud of, uh, of the book. And, and I think one of the things that we really, from our journey that we really wanted to implement and make sure that it became like the way the industry thought about things was that like slow down on trying to just jump straight to last planner. Like the way me and Joe always talk about it is like for us daily huddles, getting folks used to even speaking in a meeting that are used to being told what to do, just having them being empowered to come in and talk, then having some visual communication up where they can visually show each other where they're working, then having a constraint board up that tracks who, what, where, and when to build accountability, like should be step one in your journey, steps one through three, or we call them plays one through three, before you even think about trying to implement last planner system on your project. I mean, we right. saw so many different people fail. And I can't tell you, like when I talk to people about lean and they think I'm talking about pull planning and they immediately share a negative story, like it frustrates me because I feel like there's so many people that are giving this a bad name because they don't know what they're doing. It's almost like trying to go to calculus before you've done algebra. Like yeah. you've got to build this culture in the field first and then when you start people start understanding the value that it's going to bring to them they'll be hungry to learn more about last planner system and other things but you know you can't just you know take it and say oh you read a book and then go show pool planning and you know ppc down people's throat like good luck it's not going to work in the field the field you know the field one thing i always say about the field is like the field will always figure it out it doesn't matter. They don't have detail. They don't have the detail. They don't have the drawings. They're going to get it built. May not be built per plan and spec. May not right. be documented well to get dollars for it. But the field will always figure it out. And right. it's just one of those kind of things where it's like they got to have a good understanding of 
the why behind it. And I'm sorry, like for the trade partners, the why isn't that it's going to make their firm more money. That's right. not why for their foreman. And so there's so much more to, there's so much more that needs to be talked about before, you know, you just go ahead and jump into this kind of stuff. And, and the last thing I'll say is like, for me and Joe, the book is really more for, you know, I read an article there's, you know, there's like 10,000 general contractors in the United States. Like mm -hmm. most of them do revenue 50 million or less. Right. Like the large firms, the LCI firms, the big mega jobs, like take those aside. Like what about the small company in some market that doesn't have a community of practice nearby, that has a superintendent that's sick of working 80 hours a week? Where is a resource for that guy to pick up, read it, and at least be able to get some value in his day? That is really what we were trying to accomplish. Well, and I, I, I think you've accomplished that in spades really um, from from that the way that that book takes off as a way of trying to explain um what we're doing and you know you're you're so right about i mean everything starts with um uh, it's, 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 this is something lci talks about all the time and i was thinking about the the cultural differences between the Toyota way and the rest of that, but it really does come down to respect for people. Yeah. And when you ask a guy a question and he actually <laughs> says, well, you're, you're really interested in the, you're interested in my answer. <laughs> like, well, nobody ever asked me that stuff. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's why the daily huddle is so important. My team has a daily huddle yeah. um, where we find out what we're doing, where we're going. You know, it's very agile in that sense. Yeah what happened yesterday, what's, what's in your way today. And let's make sure that, you know, we're okay. And then we have a, we have a roundup at the end of the week. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think that the, the book's been powerful. So where did the, the story of the guy coming back from, you know, the war and uh, having the dad and, uh, you know, how yeah, sure. challenges sure. come from, because uh, I think that's a really interesting part of it. Yeah. Well, I'll say this, you know, um, my director of marketing, Dara at Skiles Group, is uh, really an artist. She's a, a unbelievable storyteller, even in the way we market our brand, uh, the way we sell, those kind of things. And um, when I told her about the book and that me and Joe were working on this book, I had asked her just because of her writing skill, you know, could she help be editor of the book? And, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like, you know, she's really... Uh, a third offer in the author in the book in that Joe and I knew like we needed something to hook people in that opening uh, preface chapter. Like we had to have, um, it needed to be just more than just tools and culture. Like we needed a story and something that would get people uh, wrapped in and, and, uh, and Dara played a big part of, of helping us tell that story. And, and I always laugh, like, I can't remember who it was, but the first couple of people I let read the book, like they're calling me or texting me and Joe, like, you're killing people off in the first, like, what am I reading? You know? <laughs> and, uh, and, but it was important to us, like, uh, be real, right? Yeah. It had to be real. Um, and then, you know, I mean, we wrote the book, there was a lot of different variation. Like we did not want Sam to be some type of, you know, leave it to beaver type character, just, you know, and, and so like uh, an all American guy. Yeah. Yeah. And like him in the chapter where, you know, he hangs up uh, on his uh, architect and, you know, screams at her and hangs up or some of the things, just the, some of the nuances of what he says, like it was important to us, like for him to be like a real guy. And then just even other things, like, I mean, a lot of the people always ask Joe and I like, are you Sam? Are you Alan? Which character are you? And, and we laugh. It's like, we're both like, it's every story in that book comes from somewhere, some experience we've had. And what's been so odd is that having so many people that have been in our industry resonate, like feel like the book was written about them. Like, like re, that's their story too. Right. Which in some ways is very discouraging because it just shows how much dysfunction is in our industry, that these are all common threads that, you know, um, that exists, but it was really important on the character side and the development. And, you know, just like there's the chapter, um, you know, Sam stayed up too late 
uh, watching the ball game. He procrastinated on, you know, building uh, the, the nursery for his wife, forgot his phone in the morning. Like those are like real things <laughs> that, that happen. Right. And, uh, the behaviors and how you act and those kind of things. Um, you know, we wanted that to be realistic. And I think that's probably the best feedback we get is that, like if I ever hear a superintendent tell their ops guy who bought everybody books in their company, like, oh, you can tell that book was written by people that are in our business, you know. I think that's that's one of the things that resonates. And and the thing that I think about, that I find so rewarding is it is the essence of the business is problem solving. Right. So and it's and it's solving the problem of forgetting your phone. <laughs> you know, what are you <laughs> supposed to do? It's the problem of dealing with your wife who, you know, wants that nursery built. I mean, and you're solving problems all the time because somebody it it it's remarkable that everybody in that book is so curious, you know, right. and I think that that is the chief behavior that we look for. Yeah. Is that people are curious, you know, how do we figure this thing out? This is a you know, this is an issue. You don't figure it out by making a claim or having some guy follow you around and trying right. to deduct hours from you. Um, most of the, you know, the, one of my favorite books is Daniel Pink, um, drive all about what really incentivizes people. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you know, if, if you think about that, the, there's this hubris that we have these heuristic biases that we think people are motivated by money. And if you think, well, how are they motivated by money? If, if, if Chuck had said to you, Kian, uh, we're going to give you a hundred thousand dollar bonus. If you take a million dollars out of our operations next year. Uh, and you're working away and you're doing some lean stuff and you call up Dick Beyer and you call up uh, Rebecca Bettler, and some of our friends and Christian Pacal, you know, and, and say, help me with this. And by, you know, July, you've saved $60,000 by, you know, a little five ass and some Kaizen events. And you go, how are we going to save a million dollars? Well, in November, you fire six people, you save <laughs> that million dollars, you get your bonus, but it's, it's driven really bad behavior. Sure. not the behavior we want to drive. So, you know, in, in Drive, Daniel Pink talks about people are motivated by independence. Um, they're motivated by mastery. They're motivated by the things that they do well. They want to do the work that they do well. Yeah, uh, no, you're absolutely right. It's it's funny because you, you spoke about the book not being, you know, too prescriptive. It doesn't tell you things. Um, and what we've seen in this COVID time, and without getting too political about it, you know, whatever side of the vaccine question you're on, I'm clearly on the I'll just get vaccinated side. Uh, but we had, you know, the, I'm on a project where the, the college has implemented, a, you have to be vaccinated to get on the site. Sure. And the next day, it's 15 of our 16 form workers were not there. And you have to understand that there are lots of people in the trades that don't like to be told what to do. Right. And standing up and telling them you're gonna go spend two hours filling out stickies uh, when you got work to do. Right. And unless you have done that predecessor work, like you talked about, you know, having the conversations with them and talking about how they do their work. And sure. so when I'm I'm in a trailer, I try to find out as much as I possibly can about every one of these folks because they all have a story and yeah. they and they like to tell that story. So you guys yeah. are incredibly successful with the book. How many copies can you share with us? How many copies you sold? Because everybody asked yeah. me. Yeah. Oh I my mean, God. Last I looked, like I think we're we've just broken over thirteen thousand copies. Wow. Um, you know, which I'm sure that's probably not a lot considering like uh well, fifty four thousand but being Amazon that yeah, yeah, a, a niche of construction and then a niche of lean construction, like yeah. you know, it's uh it's been it's been really exciting for us. And then, you know, after the book, we started getting a lot of feedback like people needed more. It was like, well, what can you, right. you know, how do like what does it look like and what does it feel like? And so and I don't and, you know, it's so funny, like I don't I don't I don't know that I it's not that I don't like to write, it's just um you know, having a, yeah, having a blog, like so we started this blog and I was just looking, you know. Um, the way the blog works is we've asked people in the industry, you've written for us, different people, but we're really wanting people to write uh, for the field is what it's all about. It's like not, not high level, no, like, like explain like something that somebody could read a couple minute uh, blog and then be able to go implement. 
And I was looking back, like we've already, we've already got like almost 90 blogs on the site. I've written like 60 blogs this past year and a half or so. And um, I just didn't even understand, you know, that there was just that much more in, in me to like, want to, want to share. And now I feel like, um, you know, for the folks that go to that page, our hope was that if a superintendent working in some rural market somehow hears about lean and decides to Google any type of lean word, pull planning, lean construction, PPC, whatever, there would be something in the search results written by builders. And, and so that's what we've been focused on. And, um, and so, uh, you know, we're really excited about that. And, and at this point, um, at least for now, I feel like I've said mostly everything I want to say. And what I'm trying to really do is share other people's stories in our industry, other people that are trying to get their message out related to how to get more value in the field. And so Joe and I tap a lot of uh, people that we consider peers or uh, mentors uh, to start helping to, to establish this content because it just needs to be, there needs to be a sector for it. There needs to be a sector for what LCI does. There needs to be a sector for the more academic side. And then there needs to be a section for actual, uh, you know, construction field leaders. And, and that's, that's all we're trying to do with that. And it, 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 it has to be, um, I don't want to say verifiable. It has to be, um, it's got to have some gravitas, right? It's got to have some meaning to people that are accessing it so that it's not some, you know, crazy conspiracy theory someplace. It's like <laughs> you can actually use the internet to do more than just figure out, you know, how to get to Mars on Tuesday, that you can actually access it for recipes. I mean, and so in, in some reason, in some ways I look at the, at the Lean Builder blog, um, that you guys do is really kind of recipes for success. Like, you know, I had this problem. I tried this and and boom. Yeah. This yeah. is what we did. And so when I wrote the thing about superintendents, I had a lot of feedback from superintendents saying, you know, well, that's great. But I mean, how do I do it when I have this? And I, I, I probably had 25, you know, like emails out to superintendents who had reached out to me. And I said, well, I mean, here's some, here's some things that you might think about. Right. Right. And in, in how you do stuff. So I, I really appreciate that the great work that you've done. And uh and you have been such um such a treat in our community <laughs> because you're always so soft spoken. I mean, I get up there and I, you know, I use words like, What are you crazy? What is the matter with you? Why are you doing this? And you're always going, now, you know, now let's just let's let's talk about you know, kind of how you got here and what you were thinking about and and you never seem to raise your voice. I, I guess I should have gotten your wife on <laughs> or, or your kids and said, you know, um, what's he like when he's really, you know, yeah, right. but <laughs> you have such a great, uh, uh, such a great delivery. So, uh, and I'm really proud of what you're, you're trying to build at Skiles. You're trying to build a non, you know, firefighter kind of organization yeah. that just exists to deliver value and not only value to customers in the truest sense of yeah. you know, healthcare, but value to your, your employees and their families and the things yeah. that they care about. No, that's, that's absolutely right. Like our, our core purpose here. So we don't really have a, a, a vision mission statement. We have a core purpose and it's that we believe there's a better way to build. And, you know, to us, uh, you know, what that means is, really being curious, always looking to improve a little bit each day, looking for better ways to do things, uh, empowering our our team and external teams, uh, you know, to think differently, uh, you know, being the biggest never has meant anything to me personally. I always laugh, like, you know, they post this ENR 400 and, and it's like, you know, I could get big too. We'll just bid everything cheap and win all this work. Like, right. and then we'll it's like that doesn't mean anything. Like, well, it was, it was funny. Greg and I were Greg and I were going to start this construction company where, where we would have absolutely no bidding department or estimation department. We would just bid five percent. We'd send them a letter and say we'll do it for five percent less than anybody else can. <laughs> And one of the ways we could do that is because we didn't have an estimation department and a bidding department and all the rest of that stuff. Right. So, yeah, no, I mean, and so it's just one of those things where it's like, 
well, then if you don't want to be the biggest, what do you want to be? We want to be the best. But there's a difference between what people what people think the best is. Right. The best isn't beating your chest saying we're the best. The best is the strive to be the best, the journey to be the best. And through that journey, you're never there. It's always about continuous improvement. Right. And um, and that's I think out of everything that I love about you know our lean circle is there's a lot, there's a lot of areas where, you know, you can be passionate about. Some people are passionate about uh, the reduction of waste. Some people are passionate about where they can add value. And then some people are passionate about like the continuous improvement, like that constant strive uh, for not just settling for the status quo. And, uh, you know, I think to me that, that, that really resonates, you know, well, I think, you know, when, when you look at things like KPIs, they're usually outcome determinative, but it's like income, you know, and it's volume of work and things like that. But what if it was really KBIs? What if, what if our outcomes were every one of our employees has the ability to be a soccer coach for their kids? Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? Right. You know, how do we, I mean, you could pull plan those things, right? Yeah. <laughs> you could take these outcomes. Um, and I'm always surprised that people call every, everybody calls everything pull planning when really what we're doing mostly is mapping, right? Sure. It's really only in the phase plan that you talk about outcomes and you kind of pull backwards. But every day when you're doing your, your, your last planner, what's the work that's happening now? We're mapping out things, right. we're making them visible. We're, we're doing visible recording. So what if your, what if your goal was, you know, everybody a soccer coach. What if the goal was we're going to reduce mental health stress because we can track that stuff with claims that are made on the insurance that we provide to our people, and we're going to reduce it five percent every year, and we're going to and we're going to really look at what does that take, where does that take us? Yeah. You know, and these are the kinds of things that people in construction don't talk about. No, no. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because, like, where I feel, at least for me personally. Um, and me and Joe have talked a lot about this is that, you know, in a lot of ways, like, I feel like I've said everything that I wanted to say, or I've said everything I wanted to say about lean construction or last planner of like how to do it. Right. And what's really in my mind and my heart is going forward. Like the things that I want to talk about and, and teach and, and have a conversation on has to do with mental health in our industry has to do with, uh, you know, the perception of the craftsmen in our industry. And, you know, I, I always laugh like, you know, and this isn't a knock, there's people in that circle that are trying, you know, well, we got to improve, we got to improve, you know, the uh, image of the trades, right? Well, it's like, yeah, you got to improve the image, but you also got to improve like what's going on in the field, you know, right. like, you know, if you think about on our projects and and uh, you know what the what a porta can looks like on a job site, and you know how often it gets cleaned, and you know some of these things, uh, the hours and the weekend work, and all these different things that we require, demand, and the lifestyle that goes along with that, um, like that, that, there's work to do there, and I think that falls in line with the lean construction culture and the respect for people. And so I think there's so many folks right now and there's so many resources on the true last planner value part of what we do. Now, I think it's really time to start opening the doors and exploring some of the issues that are plaguing our industries, like the mental health issues, like the alcohol dependency issues, like, uh, you know. I'll drink to that one. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and it's funny because I always joke, that, uh, you know, we celebrate with drinks and we uh, celebrate losses. Are, are we, are we uh, <laughs> you know, you know, hey, we want, we want a job. Let's go to the bar. We lost a job. Let's go to the bar. You know, yeah. good day. Yeah. Let's go yeah. celebrate that. And that's just culture in our industry. And so it's, it's a palliative, uh, right? It's a, it, it's, it's, it, it's a disguise for what we're really feeling because it's hard for us to have conversations. Yeah. I mean, you think about the long hours, you think about injury that may cause pain. You think about uh, shift work. You think about all the traveling work. You think about seasonal per diems. uh, I'm sorry, seasonal uh, 
furloughs where folks don't know if they're going to have a job when and that all those things combined plus the stress level of being responsible of making budget making schedule um you know it's a it's a tough it's a tough industry and uh you know it's a great industry and there's just a lot of things that we can do to make it better and uh anybody that is you know trying to do things to to push that narrative to make this industry better like i want to do anything that i possibly can or or from the lean builder perspective what me and joe are doing to elevate those people um with this platform that we've created because um, this is a conversation that has to happen uh, and, and there's so many conversations that can happen you know in uh, so up here in canada we don't have to worry about you know whether uh, healthcare is <laughs> is a, uh, you know, whether you're, you're going to buy food or you're going to buy healthcare, right? You, you just don't have to worry about that here. So I've been talking to uh, a number of trade unions about what we've, what, what I grew up with trade unions was it was very political and it was very jurisdictional and it was very prescriptive. And I said, well, what about returning to craft? I mean, I think that, you know, what lean construction can help you do is really establish the pride of a craftsperson in installing, you know, in doing good work and in understanding what it is because of uh, that book I read by Teresa Maribel about how important it is that work is what empowers us. But there's so many conversations we should have. You know, the, the last planner is really about reliability. It's not even about productivity. So we're not touching the surface on productivity. And that's one of the things that enables us to build more with, you know, fewer resources. And that's and that's what we're looking at. I mean, when, when we you know, talk about climate change, you know, we're, we're losing people in one of the great industries that we can have. And we need to start having those conversations. We need to, to get people to understand, wow, this is really a fabulous industry. It is so cool to build stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah, and I'm hopeful that, you know, I feel like the trend over the last, I don't know, it's probably been longer than 20 years, but, you know, they've taken uh, vocation out of, out of our schools. Yeah. I mean, music and vocation. And you go, why don't we have woodshop and why don't we have music? You know, and, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, no child left behind narrative. You're not going to be successful unless you go get a degree and go to college and this and that. And, um, you know, it's just not true. I mean, you can make a wonderful career for yourself uh, through the trades. Um, but, you know, as an industry too, we have to make it appealing to want to be a craftsperson. And it's more than just a marketing campaign. It's more right. about the way we, we treat each other and act and, and uh, you know, the things that we do in the field to make it appealing. And so, I, man, you're dead on, man. Well, I think, you know, how we reward people, as you found out, um, we should be celebrating our trades on a regular basis. Uh, because they are the ones that get us across the finish line. Uh, and in Canada, the, another difference up here is that they have a they have the university system, which is the four-year degree. And there's really relatively a small number of people who go to that because they have an incredibly robust college system mm -hmm. where you three years you graduate as an architectural technologist. And these are the people that are leading many of the biggest projects up here. You can go be a chef you can go be a, you know, you can learn to be a carpenter. You can learn to do that. You can do it in the union hall. You can do it through college. And this college thing is two and three year programs that are just phenomenal up here. And I think, um, you know, in some ways, there's lots of lessons that we can learn in the States from Canada. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of things that they can learn up here as well from the States. Um, but I, I think it is about, you know, Stan, you and I were, we're talking about the journey. And I, I said that, you know, journey always feels like you're getting on a bus with people with chickens and boxes. Um, but it, it really is. It, it's, it's a lifelong commitment to learning more about things, helping people, having those conversations, opening it up. And you guys have been really instrumental in opening up those conversations around the book. It's been really it's been powerful so, for, to so many of my team. So so thank you for that. And congratulations on uh on that, and congratulations on what you're doing at Skiles. I want to hear more about that. Well, I really appreciate that. I'll tell you, you know, I'll share a story, something we've done here, uh, and it's related to lean, and it's related to this respect for people. And I hope I don't sound like I'm, I'm trying to be advantageous, like like I'm selling here. But, um, you know, when we started our lean journey here, 
we started value mapping processes. What's our current state? What would we want our future state to be? And uh, and then really asking our teams like to work through uh, to, to to build that out. And we've done an awesome job at that. But one of the first places we started looking at was our safety program because, you know, it's just such an important part of our industry. And, you know, if you're going to focus effort, that would be the first spot to look. And what was bothering me for a long time was how antiquated crisis management seems in our industry. Oh, yeah. And what I mean by that, Dick, is that like if you're working on a hundred million dollar job, big vertical, you know, project, let's say 10 floor hospital. Right. And somebody hits an unmarked gas line. Um Right now, and you know what happens is that person would probably get out of their cab. They go find their foreman. Their foreman will go try to call the superintendent or go to the trailer. Then he comes out there with an air horn, and you know one blast may mean to to go to the rally point. Two blasts may mean to stay put. People got to remember what the crisis management plan looked like in the first place. And you know, yeah, they saw it in orientation. And yeah, it's probably posted somewhere on the job site. And so, you know. The idea came to me, I was like, you know, we got to make this visual. And so, you know, we ended up putting it in an app to where the workers would come in, they scan a QR code and they have the whole crisis management plan in the app. Then um, we said, well, hey, what if it could geolocate you to the nearest hospital or clinic or fire department? Then it was like, hey, what if it had all the contact information for all the key personnel on the GC side on the site? And then uh, my developmental partner, uh, Manny, who is a good friend of mine that was working with on this, we start talking and we're like, hey, what if in case of an emergency, somebody could hit an alert feature and it would push notify everybody on the job site like an Amber alert? And so we spent a year working on this and we spent two years and finally got a patent for it this past year. Wow. And uh, the app is called Smart Safety. It won second place in AGC's National Innovation Award this year. What was first? And uh, it was awesome, awesome uh, product by Pepper Construction that had to do with safety. And, and oh. uh, really cool. It was a VR safety uh, simulation. Nice. And, uh, but th- I share that because it's a lean story is what it is. It's yeah. a story about how can we get workers to safety faster how is it 2021 and we're still thinking that it's an acceptable uh, solution to use an air horn to notify a job site full of a hundred plus people that there's a safety hazard or somebody's hurt. Oh yeah. Workers are are coming from different places. They may not know where the nearest clinic is or what's around them. They don't know who the superintendent is and who the safety director is. And so having all that in one spot is when I talk about, you know, we got to do better in our industry. We got to move, we got to move the needle. We got to figure out ways, um, you know, to scale and be, and not just like, well, Hey, this is how we've always done it. And it's not broke. So don't fix it. These are the kind of things that I'm talking about. And so, you know, when I talk about Skiles group and our journey and and what we're trying to do, um, you know, I think of the lean builder and I think of smart safety and things that feed that purpose of, we believe there's a better way to build. And, um, I'm always excited when I come across people in our industry that are looking for solutions to old problems that we've just accepted as being just the way it is. Well, I think that you know, when when you said that thing about the field will always um, figure it out, yeah. that we need to think of the field as a much bigger field. <laughs> that <laughs> the, the, we have these problems in front of us and we don't even think of them necessarily as problems. We We think that we've saved it. You know, we, we fixed the safety thing because we are we're using air horns, but that 10 story hospital probably has 500 workers on it and they're probably going up and down in man lifts. Yeah. And that air horn goes off and are people scrambling downstairs that are unsafe? Are they waiting in line for the man lift while the gas lines blowing up? I mean, these are, you know, these are real issues. So thank you for for safety. Yeah, smart safety. Yeah. Smart safety. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I'm gonna uh I'm going to share that with some of my friends up here. That's fantastic. Appreciate that. Um, well, any other uh, any other words of wisdom that you want to pass on? I've taken up like an hour of your time. I really appreciate it. 
Hey, and, no, no, always, this... and thanks for jumping on this when I, I called you the other day and you went, okay, <laughs> let's go. Let's make it happen. So thank you for that. Yeah, no, well, Dick, first off, um, really appreciate everything you've done uh, for our industry and in regards to lean construction. I've been a fan of yours a long time. Um, you know, I appreciate, uh, you know, you helping get our, our book out and, and sharing the message and, and uh, you know, this has been a real pleasure for me to come on here and, and just share a little bit about what Joe and I are passionate about, what we've been trying to do. And so uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Hey, my pleasure. As we get down the line, we'll get you and Joe back together and talk about um, volume two or whatever is, uh, you know, next out there. <laughs> Everybody's looking forward to it because it's been it's really been impactful. And I'm really um, I'm proud to call you a friend of mine, my friend. So. Hey, well, that means a lot, man. I appreciate that. Well, thanks very much. Thanks for sharing. And we'll uh, we'll see you down the road. Thank you for tuning in to the Lean Construction Blogs podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us spread the word by sharing, subscribing, or leaving a review on your preferred podcast listening platform. Remember to join us next time as we continue to lower the barriers to applying lean construction and help take your lean journey to the next level. And don't forget to visit the Lean Construction blog to stay up to date on our latest podcast episodes, weekly blog posts, monthly webinars, and upcoming conferences. We hope to see you on the next episode.